Welcome to Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction, addressing the essential needs of the whole shooter. Your host, Tom Bushy, addresses tips, tactics, and tantamount Second Amendment issues of the week. Class is now in session. Welcome, everybody, to AKS, Attitude, Knowledge, and Systems, our podcast for AKS Firearms Instruction for March 16th, the week of March 16th, episode 11. This week, no coronavirus stories. Well, mostly. Thin air, clearing the air, love protects. Corona carriers, rolling with the tide in Alabama, machine gun joey, and our story time. First off, where the air is thinner. There's a little mountain town in northern Idaho called Potlatch. Potlatch, Idaho. Very small town. It is, or at least was, a logging town. I'm not sure how the logging industry is doing these days. But I saw a meme on Facebook that mentioned the elementary school in Potlatch, Idaho. And uh, the meme was about how ironic it was that there was a gun show being hosted at the elementary school there. Well, you know, if you see something on Facebook that really strikes you as odd or strange or funny, uh, beyond my profile picture, it's odd and strange and uh, unfortunately true. Uh, But if you see things on there that strike you as a little odd, you really ought to check it out before you pass it on to anybody else. So I did, and boy, son of a gun, this is absolutely right. There is the Potlatch Elementary School in northern Idaho, and the elementary school hosts an annual gun show in their gymnasium. Now, it's not sponsored by the school district, but the district rents the gym to organizers of the gun show for the last 29 years. The uh, the man that started this has uh, since passed, and his family continues to do it uh, in his honor. It raises a lot of uh, money for good causes, and uh, in that community, it's looked upon very favorably. The rest of us go, are you kidding? I still look on it favorably, but are you kidding? A gun show in an elementary school gymnasium. Not exactly what you think, but in Potlatch, Idaho, it's nothing new. Been doing it for 29 years. Teachers and schools. It's a subject that comes up often here at AKS because I am one. I'm a teacher not just of firearms, but I'm a middle school teacher. And so whenever we talk about school shootings or what schools are doing to protect themselves from school shootings, uh, it's probably going to get mentioned here on the uh, podcast and on the Facebook page. Well, this next story I call Don't Mess With Texas teachers. You know, in May of 2018, there was a shooting in Santa Fe High School, which is uh, south of Houston, Texas. And later this month, the teachers in the Santa Fe Independent School District, where that shooting took place, will be allowed to carry firearms. The teachers there will be allowed to carry firearms. And this is part of the district's implementation of what Texas calls the Guardian Plan. So a woman named Flo Rice, who is a former substitute teacher who was there at the shooting in 2018, I beg your pardon, and uh, she learned of this, uh, this development, and she was very happy about it. 
She just said, I know from my personal experience and what happened to me, the Guardian plan would have made a difference. So the Guardian plan allows, I always stress that when we talk about teachers carrying firearms, we're not arming teachers. We're not issuing them firearms in orders that they have to carry them and be ready to use them. We are allowing competent teachers, trained teachers, licensed teachers, both licensed to teach and licensed to carry, to carry their firearms for the protection of themselves and the students in their immediate care. We're not talking about teachers uh, going out and clearing the building but teachers who are prepared in the worst of the worst situations to be able to protect themselves and the students in their care. Sure wish that could have happened down at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida. I know Meadows' father, Andrew Pollock, certainly wishes that uh, that would have been the case. His daughter would be alive today, but she was uh, gunned down in that shooting. Anyway, back to Santa Fe, Texas, uh, the school had a choice between the school marshal program and the guardian plan. The marshal plan, the teachers are allowed to keep a gun in a locked box in their classroom. And with the guardian, guardian plan, teachers may carry. Okay, um, You know, if I'm a teacher and I have a gun in a locked box, I'm not going to be nearly as happy as having one on my person, always at the ready to use, again, in the worst of worst circumstances. The school board president, whose name is Rusty Norman, good uh, good Texas name, Rusty, couldn't be better unless, of course, his name was Buck, Buck Norman, but it's not, it's Rusty Norman. He said, uh, this is just another layer as a last line of defense. If someone gets past all of those other layers and becomes an issue in a classroom or a hallway in uh, one of the school facilities, that someone may be there that could protect themselves along with the students and staff that are around them. That's exactly what we're talking about. That's what we're looking for, those of us who advocate allowing trained and licensed teachers to carry firearms with them. According to the Guardian plan, teachers and staff that petition to carry on campus have to go undergo a mental health evaluation, 80, 80, 80 hours of training by the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement to carry weapon on the campuses, and each petition to carry has to be approved by the school district. So the school district still has the last say on who's allowed to carry on campus or not. But all those other requirements are there, and they, I would think they would make people feel a little bit better. Doing they have to go to the mental health evaluation and 80 hours of training? That's a lot of training, folks. The Santa Fe schools are likely to have signs outside their uh, buildings that read something like, teachers are armed, or teachers may be armed, and are willing to use whatever force is necessary to protect the students. Thank God in Santa Fe uh, School District, they have that option because love protects and i can tell you that we teachers we love our students and we are prepared we are prepared to protect them with whatever means is at our disposal okay corona carriers headlines of the next story uh this refers to of course not so much the coronavirus okay because i don't know about you i hate to say this 
very serious issue, but I'm so sick of hearing about the coronavirus, COVID or whatever it is, 19. Uh, I'm, I'm full of it. I'm sure there are other things happening in the world. Could we maybe reduce the news stories about corona to maybe half of what they currently are, which would equate to half of the time that these people are on the air. It's all they talk about. Story uh, for another time, I guess. Well, anyway, on March 6th, Pennsylvania Governor, this is my state, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf signed a proclamation of disaster emergency because of the coronavirus. There's a lot of concern amongst gun owners about what the state of uh, state of emergency or disaster emergency uh, means, especially to those of us that have uh, a carry license that we have guns. You know, there's been a story. I didn't do a write up on this story. It's not in my notes, but uh, was it someone in uh, Champaign, Illinois, or Urbana, Illinois? The, the mayor there has uh, res- uh, restricted all gun sales all gun sales because of the coronavirus so anyway just an opportunistic time for them i think why let a good crisis go to waste right well there's concern uh, among gun owners here in pennsylvania about what this proclamation means and so i did what i love to do i called the good people at u.s law shield I've been a member of a U.S. Law Shield for several years now, and one of the benefits that uh, membership has is you can call them during business hours with any legal question about your firearms and your right to carry uh, that you want. And a lawyer will get back to you, a firearms Pennsylvania lawyer will get back to you. Now, U.S. Law Shield, just a little side here, U.S. Law Shield is a nationwide service, so uh, I'm dealing with the Pennsylvania branch, Pennsylvania Law Shield, but this is all part of the Umbrella uh, Corporation, or if you call it a corporation, I don't know, uh, organization called U.S. Law Shield. Anyway, I can call them with my questions, and I will have a lawyer on the line uh, to answer that question. So I mentioned this proclamation to the lawyer at U.S. Law Shield, And he said, there is only one change regarding the gun law for Pennsylvanians under this proclamation. Now, Pennsylvania is an open carry state. You do not need a uh, firearms license to do open carry in the state, unless you're in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, individuals may not open carry their firearms unless they have a license to carry concealed. Uh, Yep, I know, it makes perfect sense. You may not open carry unless you have a concealed carry license. Sure, sure, I'd like to see who who came up with that idea. Anyway, that's the way it is in Philadelphia. Everybody thinks, oh, you can't carry a firearm in Philadelphia. You can. You can carry concealed and you can carry open. But if you're carrying, either way, you have to have a concealed carry license, a Pennsylvania concealed carry license. So the, the change statewide in Pennsylvania for uh, gun owners uh, under this uh, proclamation disaster emergency is that all of the state is now like Philadelphia. So wherever you are, you may not open carry unless you have a concealed carry license. If you have a concealed carry license in Pennsylvania, nothing changes for you under this declaration of uh, disaster emergency. So, there's the word from the lawyers, people I trust implicitly. So, um, that's, that's the name of that tune. 
So getting uh, answers to legal questions through U.S. Law Shield is just one of the many benefits. And we're going to talk more about Pennsylvania and U.S. Law Shield uh, in a little bit and other uh, yeah, there it is, looking through my notes uh, in uh, another story a little bit later on here in the podcast. Now, Alabama, speaking of concealed carry, which we do quite a bit of here, uh, Alabama is uh, online to become the next constitutional carry state. If you have not heard uh, this concept before or uh, stories like this before, being a constitutional state, now, I, I think that this is a little ironic to me, but if you're a constitutional carry state, basically it means the state recognizes the Constitution as your license to carry a firearm. That makes perfect sense to me. Why do I need a license to exercise my Second Amendment right. Well, apparently, each each individual state in the United States needs to make a law in their state that they are going to abide by the United States Constitution. That seems a little funny to me. You have to make a special law to say you are going to abide by the Constitution of the United States. We're supposed to be united on certain things. The Constitution should be one of the principal things upon which we are united. Off I go again, wondering where in my notes I uh, I left all this. Very early in this story. Oh, yeah. What do... <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. I had to write this one down. What do a unicycle and a concealed carrier have in common? I'll wait... If you know me on Facebook, you know that I kind of like dad jokes. Okay, unicycle and a concealed carrier. What do they have in common? Attire. So legislators in Alabama want to make Alabama a constitutional carry state. And one Alabama legislator that I heard interviewed, I don't remember which one it was, called the, uh, the concealed carry license a coat tax. A coat tax. Of course, you have to apply for a concealed carry license, and there is some kind of obligatory fee that you pay for uh, to pay for the government to process your application. Which, of course, it's not like we don't already pay the government. But again, that's another aside. He called it a coat tax simply because Alabama, like Pennsylvania, is an open carry state. You can just openly carry your firearm. You don't need any special permission. Well, if uh, it gets chilly out and you're open carrying and you put a coat on and that coat drapes across your firearm, you are officially carrying concealed and breaking the law unless you have applied and paid the fee to carry concealed. Okay, That's why he calls it a coat tax you want to wear a coat over your firearm then you have to pay the tax the fee the application fee he thinks that that shouldn't be and uh, i think he's right i agree with him so he wants to uh he wants to lead his state into the realm of constitutional carry which i think we're up to uh, 17 states our official constitutional carry states that's great but that is about 33 states too few in my opinion now, there have been some objections. The, uh, the gun-grabbing group called Moms Demand Action were there in their red shirts. 
and objected. Uh, one woman named Dana Ellis said, what it comes down to, oh God help me, what it comes down to is responsible gun ownership. If you want to carry a concealed gun in public, you should go through a background check. Well, Dana, responsible gun ownership does not mean citizens bowing down to the likes of you. And to become a gun owner, which of course would be the first step in responsible gun ownership, owning one, right? You already have to go through a background check for every purchase. So however many guns I may have in my safe, I have gone through a background check for each and every one of them. No reason why I should have to go through it again to actually carry one of the guns, one of the guns that I own uh, and passed background checks for already. Okay, Dana. Some law enforcement officers complained that uh, going constitutional carry would eliminate fees that the state has been using to support police operations. Oh, heavens to Betsy. Are you serious? <laughs> some, and I'm sure this is not all, I am positive this is not all, but some law enforcement agencies are saying, hey, we're depending on that processing fee to fund our police operations. So therefore, we should keep the coat tax and charge people to exercise their Second Amendment right. Uh, yeah, no thanks, Officer Friendly. Uh, I think uh, we can just use our regular taxes to cover your police operations and not charge people for their rights. So it sounds like they've been holding uh, the rights of citizens hostage for a ransom. Not what the founders had in mind, I'm sure. So roll tide roll. Continue on and finish the job and join the ranks of the constitutional carry. And somehow, please, can you drag Pennsylvania along with you? All right, welcome to the machine, Machine Gun Joey. Now, if you have missed the video clips of uh, presidential candidate Joe Biden interacting with the uh, United Auto Workers worker, uh, where the uh, the UAW guy, and his name's out there, I forgot to write it down, I'm sorry, he's a good guy. He confronts Joe Biden about his plan to confiscate guns. And of course, Biden denied it, you're full of human excrement, I assume it was human that he was referring to, who knows. Um, and Biden, trying to prove his point, bumbled around, oh surprise, said something about yelling, uh, fire in a crowded movie theater uh and he says biden says to the uaw guy are you able to own a machine gun the uaw guy says machine guns are illegal biden says that continues to go on uh to talk about yelling fire in a movie house not sure he even knows why he did that but biden's point which clearly he needs someone else to make for him because he's incompetent and able to do that uh, was that there are some limita limitations on constitutional rights. Like the, the famous uh, example, uh, you don't have the right to uh, falsely yell fire in a crowded movie house. That's not protected speech. So a little bit of background on that. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, said in the Shank versus United States case of 1919, he said, quote, the most stringent protection of free speech 
would not protect a man falsely shouting in a theater and cause a fire in a theater and causing a panic. So you don't have that right to cause a panic with false information. Now, if it wasn't, if it wasn't false, if it was real, you'd be a lifesaver. But if it's false and you yell fire, then you have incited a panic and that is not protected speech. So, uh, now the case that Wendell Holmes was talking about was not about false alarms. It was about distributing literature that opposed the draft during World War One. but don't, we won't get caught off in that tangent. Uh, I don't want to digress here. But the, Biden was trying to make the case that even constitutional rights have some limitations. Now, that's where he was trying to go with that, but uh, uh, he lost his way, perhaps forgot his name, what office he was running for, or who was with him. Uh, this cool guy from the UAW is definitely cool. Like him, glad he spoke up and challenged Biden. But he and Biden both were wrong on this. Although they are highly regulated, machine guns are legal to own. It is legal to own machine guns. Now, a machine gun means a fully automatic firearm. Firearms, for those of you who you know are new to this whole realm, uh, firearms have to do two things, basically. They have to advance ammunition into the firing chamber, and then they have to fire that ammunition. So if you have a gun that automatically feeds that ammunition and automatically fires that ammunition, it is a fully automatic firearm. So you pull the trigger and it fires a round of ammunition, feeds the next round in, fires it again, and keeps doing that very, very fast as long as you're holding that trigger down. Now, AR-15s are not machine guns. They are semi-automatic, which means they automatically feed the ammunition, but they do not automatically fire it. So one trigger pull and one fire. Okay. So where am I in my notes again? I am really jumping off of my notes quite a bit today. This uh, show is probably going to be uh, six or seven hours long. So that's the difference between full automatic, which is uh, the machine gun, and semi-automatic. AR-15s are semi-automatic. Now, the National Firearms Act of 1934 mandates the registration of machine guns and requires a statutory excise tax for their purchase. Now, if I remember correctly, the tax is simply $200, just like uh, if you want to get a suppressor of some sort, simply $200. So the, the catch here is actually uh, market forces. Uh, jumping back, 1934, the National Firearms Act. In 1986, the federal government banned the manufacture of machine guns for civilian use. That's where we get into market forces and how owning firearms, owning fully automatic firearms, is prohibitively expensive. So by virtue of market forces, existing machine guns that were made before 1986 are dwindling in supply. Okay, so as soon as they stopped making machine guns uh, made, did I say that right? As soon as they stopped making machine guns for civilian use, uh, there was a, a fixed supply 
of machine guns. Now that machine gun supply was fixed except for the fact that machine guns are machines and they do wear out. You know, things happen. They get uh, lost or they wear out. You can't get parts and there's fewer and fewer of them. So the, the price of buying a machine gun has gone higher and higher and higher because there's a limited supply and a larger demand and that's what drives market that's what drives prices up in a capitalistic society so they are legal but they are very expensive and you have to register them another thing now this is just an aside about machine guns you know you can go to uh, certain uh, ranges and shoot a machine gun some of them have a machine gun or have uh, a company or a collector or somebody that comes around uh, and will set up shop in the range an outdoor range and uh, you can for a fee shoot the machine gun that's a lot of fun now the problem is it's just like owning a horse you gotta feed the thing it shoots a lot it, it's very fast so you think about like an M2 Browning can shoot very conservatively very very conservatively can shoot over 400 rounds per minute now if you took one that's chambered for 30 odd six rounds which is um you know, a common hunting rifle round. Uh, they cost about 70 cents a piece, give or take, up or down. And you could blow about $300 in ammunition in one minute for this machine gun. So I guess if you can afford to buy the machine gun, you can afford to feed it. But uh, I, I don't even think I want to shoot one, especially if I have to uh, buy the ammunition. Uh, you know, for $300, I'm halfway to a decent, uh, a decent handgun. So the F NFA definitely does infringe on our right to bear arms. The NFA, the National Firearms Act. But uh, it uh, still allows the ownership of machine gun in somewhat of an infringed matter, but it's still possible. Okay, preemption. You know, preemption, when I was young, preemption is that dreaded thing that happened when I wanted to watch Happy Days, but the president decided he wanted to address the nation. So you would get this screen that came up when you were ready to hear them sing, uh, you know, Happy Days theme song. Uh, and it would say, you know, a special uh, address to the nation from the president. Uh, boom, here you go. And he's sitting at the desk in the Oval Office and he tells us all what he thinks we need to know, right? So uh, your regularly scheduling program has been preempted. In other words, overruled, overrun, done, done away with. Well, as a more mature and concerned adult, I realize that it is usually pretty important to hear what the president has to say. Whether you like him or not, whether you like what he has to say or not, it's usually pretty important to hear what he has to say. Uh, but preemption remains a negative to me, not so much about television programming. In the world of gun laws, preemption refers to cases where a local government establishes a law that is contrary to the laws of the state in which it is located. Many states have laws against municipalities doing this, and they're called preemption laws. It is a burden to citizens. This is the argument uh, against localities making their own laws. It's a burden to citizens who try to abide by the law uh, regarding carrying their guns in, uh, in our context to have to familiarize themselves in the gun laws of every 
a municipality through which they may drive, shop, or visit for any number of reasons. I experienced this in, in Oregon. Uh, there was, uh, know, some years ago, I took a motorcycle trip out to Oregon, and before I did, I called Lewis, U, <laughs> I called Lewis Law Shield. U.S. Law Shield, they should have a mascot named Lewis. That would make great sense. Uh, I called U.S. Law Shield because I have added on to my membership the multi-state option. So on top of all the protections that I get with U.S. Law Shield, with a multi-state option, I'm able to be protected in every state that I go to, and I can find out ahead of time what the state's laws are and all of the idiosyncrasies of each state that I'm going to be traveling through. So I call them ahead of time, and they give me a rundown shortly before I leave on my trip so they can give me the freshest uh, rundown of the laws in each state. It's a very valuable resource at a tiny add-on cost. So uh, what follows is just one paragraph from the information they gave me about Oregon, which was my ultimate destination. Generally, open carry of handguns is legal with or without a license in Oregon. However, some local governments prohibit open carry without a valid license. Although most prominent examples include Portland, Beaverton, Tigard, Oregon City, Salem, and Independence, there may be more. A complete catalog of city ordinances is not readily available. Accordingly, it is vital to use caution and be absolutely certain of local laws before openly carrying without a license. Now, I just want to say this letter is several years old, so please don't use this as current legal advice for carrying in Oregon. But the paragraph really illustrates well of the idea of preemption laws and how it is very unfair to uh, law-abiding citizens to, uh, to allow local governments uh, willy-nilly to institute their own gun control laws uh, contrary to whatever the state might be. It becomes very difficult to keep track of. Now I looked at a map of Oregon, I saw the uh, municipalities that were listed on that list, and I noticed that the closer you get to Portland, the more of these municipalities came up. So when I got out of the interior of Oregon and closer to Portland, I I locked things up. All right, so that is that is a thing about preemption. Now. I want to give one last plug to U.S. Law Shield because I believe in it so much and it's relevant to a couple of stories that uh, we've covered today. And uh, U.S. Law Shield gives you legal advice during business hours. You can call and get legal advice. But what is really the gem with U.S. Law Shield is if you are um, involved in a self-defense incident, it doesn't even have to be with a firearm. You know, maybe it's with a knife or a baseball bat or tire and iron or your nunchakas, uh, whatever you use to defend yourself, even your bare hands. If you are involved in a self-defense incident and find yourself in trouble with the law, U.S. Law Shield will represent you. U.S. Law Shield attorneys will represent you for no legal fees whatsoever. And uh, those legal fees can easily mount up to the tens of thousands of dollars if you go to trial. But a lot of times their intervention in talking to police officers or district attorneys will prevent it from ever getting close to a trial. So very, very valuable service provided by U.S. Law Shield. 
And of course, I already mentioned about the uh, the multi-state uh, the multi-state add-on. U.S. Law Shield also gives lots of uh, seminars and things like that. When is a property use deadly force? How to handle uh, an active shooter situation? Uh, there's a, a handful of different topics uh, that they conduct live seminars. So you should look them up and learn more about membership. Go to uslawshield.com to learn more. And if you decide to join, which I think you should, please enter the code AKSFI. That's me. Attitude, knowledge, skill, firearms, instruction. And uh, they will know that I sent you there. And they'll be so happy to hear from you. All right, folks, it is story time. You know, my grandfather, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Frank Bushy, God rest his soul, uh, used to say occasionally, how do you pronounce the capital of Kentucky? Is it Louisville or Louisville? And then you would give your guess. Oh, I think it's Louisville. It's definitely Louisville. And he'd say, no, Frankfurt. Well, anyway, this story comes to us from Louisville or Louisville, Kentucky, from WDRB. A Columbus, Indiana homeowner shot and killed an intruder who had entered the home armed with a baseball bat. It was after midnight, and we've said a few times on here, nothing good happens after midnight. And if you're a father of daughters, you know it's true, right? So after midnight, a homeowner was confronted by a man named Derek Henderson, who was unknown to the homeowner. Uh, and Derek had a baseball, a baseball bat. He had used it to break into the homeowner's home and was in there uh, brandishing it and uh, in a very threatening manner. Of course, that's what brandishing means. So three times the previous day, police tried to take Henderson to the hospital for mental health attention at the request of the Department of Veteran Affairs. Police on those occasions were unable to find them until they finally did, and then Henderson refused help. Well, that night, Henderson was observed by many in the neighborhood walking the streets and smashing windows of cars and homes. Neighbors said that they could hear him yelling and screaming obscenities as though he was having an argument with someone, but there was no one else around him. And clearly, the man was having a, uh, a mental health incident. When Henderson broke into the home, brandishing the baseball bat, the homeowner shot and killed him. Now, this is not one of those stories where uh, the good guy wins and the bad guy loses. Ha! Uh, the bad guy was someone truly suffering from mental illness and of course since we read that the Department of Veteran Affairs was involved uh, we know that this man was a veteran who was suffering truly suffering from mental illness so uh, it's it's not it's not a happy outcome but from the perspective of the homeowner what else are you going to do your first priority is to protect yourself and your family and so that's what this homeowner did and um, you know I'm glad he is safe and his family is safe interestingly here a red flag law would have confiscated this gun his guns if somebody had said something like the Veterans Affairs or somebody else that he knew would have confiscated his guns without due process by the way and what would that have done well if he was truly having a mental issue he found something else to to use to threaten people and destroy property so uh, he didn't need firearms to be a threat and an emergency risk protection order wouldn't really have taken his bat 
So the point here is we need to focus on individuals and not objects. And of course, we always need to focus on not taking away the rights of citizens based on the actions of really a select few. You say a select few? Yeah, there's 420 million legally owned firearms in the United States. Now, how many of them did not commit a violent crime yesterday or last week? I'd say most of them. I'd say most of them. Well, listen, that does it for uh, episode 11 of Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill. Stay armed, stay safe and ready, and for God's sake, wash your hands. This has been Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction. Find us on the net at aksfi.com and AKS Firearms Instruction on Facebook. Go to the show notes for links to streaming services that carry this podcast, and please consider subscribing. Thank you for listening. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed.